On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, there is a new poll out that talks about the SNC-Lavalin scandal, but the startling thing about this poll is not that someone has chosen what they believe or don't believe, it's how few people seem to have even heard about this thing. How have you already gone through two weeks and never heard this, this has been going on? Well, apparently a lot of Canadians, that is the case. We're going to be chatting about snow on the sidewalks. What should Hamilton be doing about this? Because apparently it's a big problem. And... You're going to want to hear my guest when we chat about sports. It's a belated family day edition with my son, Caleb, joining me in studio. All coming up. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It's a new Ipsos poll that came out today. It says the Trudeau brand is taking a bit of a pounding over the past few days. It is interesting, honestly, that after the India trip... That was a bit of a disaster, more than a bit. And the Kokanee Grope, which was that story about him maybe groping a woman years ago while he was out there having a ski trip and the Trans Mountain Pipeline and reconciliation and deficit spending and electoral reform and a bunch of other things that have got people fired up over the last number of months. And it's the SNC-Lavalin issue that seems to be chewing into the Prime Minister's support. Only 38%, according to this poll, say he deserves re-election at this point. 38%. It's interesting, and it is definitely something that is going to be talked about a lot between now and October when there is a federal election, although that is a long time, so anything can happen. But there's something else in this poll Besides that number, because again, that, that can change on a dime. That happens. That's what poll, and even if we don't necessarily believe polls anymore, regardless, there's something else in this that I find way more interesting though. And that is that only 49% of Canadians say they were aware, they are aware of the SNC-Lavalin story. Less than half of Canadians, less than half of the public say they have even heard of this story that has saturated newspapers, saturated radio and TV coverage, been on social media everywhere, been the talk around water coolers. Half, less than half of Canadians say they've even heard about this. Now, regardless of whether you think this is a big deal of a story or a lot of hot air or whatever else, that is shocking to me. That is really shocking to me. Jeffrey Stevens is a former columnist and managing editor at the Globe and Mail. He's now a political science instructor at Wilfrid Laurier and Guelph Universities. And he wrote a piece today that you can read at thespec.com entitled, This is How the SNC-Lavalin Uproar Must End. Uh, Jeffrey joins us now. Thanks for doing this, sir. Thank you. You're most welcome. I uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think there's been another story over the past week or two in this country that has received more coverage. Has there been? Of anything. Well, maybe not. It depends what you're looking at. I mean, the problem with this particular story is that it is still very much an Ottawa media story. It hasn't burst out of the Ottawa bubble yet, and people out in the country aren't paying any attention. They're not even aware of it, as you say. I mean, the polls are showing they don't know. I mean, I live in Cambridge. I can honestly say I've not heard anybody in Cambridge mention it. I've talked to people. Nobody I've talked to has even heard about it. Really? Uh, no, they're not. It's, uh, you know, the... Uh, there's a whole different uh, sense of the country between the people who pay a lot of attention to Ottawa and, and most people who don't. And don't, uh, in most of the places, they're not paying attention to it now. Maybe they will. It, it'll become an issue and a subject of great interest, I think, in the country if it, if it turns from what it is now as an obscure sort of controversy over our country, a Canadian company paying bribes out of the country, as everybody else does, 
and turns into something such as a, a test of, uh, of Justin Trudeau's leadership. If it becomes a leadership issue, then I think people will pay attention. Otherwise, they're not going to pay attention. Not for a while. Something's uh, got to happen. Well, I, I, first of all, a couple things, uh, and you bring up some good points. Um, the first thing I wonder is the name itself. That when people say the SNC Lavalin story, that name itself, it, it's it probably turns a lot of people off immediately. It doesn't have the kind of, the word gate is not involved yet. <laughs> so people may not think it's all that serious. I don't it's know. A huge, it's a huge company. I mean, it's a Canadian company, which employs 50,000 people worldwide. Yeah. It's in many different countries. Uh, it's got about 10,000 people in Canada, of which, uh, you know, only three or 4,000 are in Quebec. The rest are ra- across the country. Um, it's a big, uh, it's a big uh, company and, uh, you know, it's sort of there and, uh, and people are used to it, and uh, I think they uh, accept it uh, for what it is. And I think I think there's a sense among Canadians that uh, yeah, com- companies should be honest in their dealings with people in Canada. But if you have to go and uh, pay some bribes in foreign countries, everybody does that, don't they? And that's the only way you can get in the door in some of these countries. And I think that sense still persists. That and you know what? That is a there's a valid argument to be made, Jeff. Certainly about that. Whether or not people believe when they hear the story, whether they think that there's anything to this or not, that I think is a very valid position. That you can have a, a good debate about whether this is a big deal or not. My surprise is based on the media saturation, and I mean legacy media, online media, and social media. I just find it hard that people haven't heard of it yet. Whether they've made up their mind, just not hearing about it seems odd to me. Well, most people don't read the newspapers anymore. Most people don't uh, watch uh, uh, major national newscasts on television. I mean, uh, how many people watch uh, CTV? Maybe a million, a little over a million people out of uh, 30-odd million in the country. Uh, Less than that for for CBC. I mean, uh, the uh, standard legacy media are reaching a... uh, minority of the population uh, and social media is all over the lot and uh, some people pay attention to it and a lot of people don't you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml chatting with jeffrey stevens former globe and mail columnist former managing editor now a political science instructor at wilford laurier and at guelph universities uh, about his piece this is how the snc lavalin uproar must end and specifically about an ipsos poll that shows that only 49% of Canadians say they have even heard of this, not made a decision, not come to a conclusion, not formulated an opinion, have even heard about this. Uh, Jeffrey, would, would I be silly or naive or being ridiculous if I said if this was a l- l- sort of lewd sex scandal that everybody in the country would have known about this by now? <laughs> Well, that's possible, Scott. I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, I'm not surprised at that 49% figure. I mean, the last poll I saw, the um, yeah, majority of Canadians could not name the leader of the opposition. You know, but people, a lot of people don't pay the sort of attention to politics, particularly federal politics, that you and I and most of the people we know do pay to it. They, they don't do it. Uh, and in this part of the country, uh, I think the Ford government uh, in Toronto was uh, getting a lot more attention than the Trudeau government in Ottawa because the Ford government is doing things that affect people uh, more intimately than the, the stuff that is going on in Ottawa now. I mean, you know, t- trade deals are nice, but uh, yeah, that's not the same as sex ed in, in the schools when your kids are there, that sort of thing. It's a fantastic point you raise, and, and a distressing one, quite frankly, depressing too, but the, the, this is the electorate. These, these people, just like you or I or people listening who have been following the story, they have the same number of ballots to cast when the election rolls around as you or I do. 
don't want to be an elitist about that. I mean, these, these people are pretty smart. Uh, they're smart enough to know what's important to them and to their communities and to their families, and, uh, and they uh, will tune into the federal election uh, when the time comes, and, uh, and that'll be about three weeks before Election Day. They'll start <laughs> to pay some attention, and they, uh, they may go to a few all-candidates meetings. They'll watch some debates on television, and uh, they'll make up their mind, and usually they're about right. I mean, you look at the last election that started off with, uh, you know, it looked like Stephen Harper was going to run away with it, and uh, Justin Trudeau and the Liberals came out of third place and won it. People were paying attention, and when the time came, uh, they cast the ballots, and I think they voted the right way. You have been around politics for a good while. You, you've seen it. I mean, you've seen enough of these things. Are, are, is, that, is it different today than it used to be once upon a time? Was, it, was that sort of three- or four-week window always the case, or were people more engaged in the past? No, I think it was always the case. Um, uh, I think uh, there are more distractions uh, today than there used to be, and that social media is one of the big distractions. And, uh, and also life is more complicated now. I mean, the uh, cost of housing has gone up and people are looking for a place to live and that sort of stuff. I mean, I talk to young people, and I mean, they just don't know where, they, where the heck they're going to possibly get a place they can rent, where they can live, where they can get a job. I and mean, those uh, are real issues, and uh, they're pressing issues for people these days. Uh, life is not as comfortable as it once was. And, and as I say, there are just more things clamoring uh, for their attention, and the pol- politicians are only one of the elements that are trying to get their attention. I'd be fascinated, and I, the, the Ipsos poll, I didn't see the breakdown of this. I'd be fascinated to see what the age groups were who were most aware of this going on. Because, I would, I, I mean, you would assume, I think, Jeffrey, you would assume it's probably the older people who... Older. That would yeah. be my assumption, right? But then on the other hand, I think, well, surely there are schools that are still doing civics courses and still talking about current events. So hopefully the, the younger kids who are still in school would know about this, but I don't know. Well, I don't know either. And I, I mean, the, the courses I teach at university are third year courses. And, uh, and those students are not very uh, tuned into uh, current events or political developments. Uh, they're just not um, uh, for whatever reasons. I don't think that the educational system does a very good job of teaching people civics and civic responsibility and, uh, and the importance of voting and the importance of uh, you know, the political system and how it can affect your life. We don't get enough of that, and, uh, and I think that's, uh, that's regrettable. Is, is that something that uh, should, I mean, this is a big picture topic now, but I mean, is that something that schools should be going back to? It seems like kind of a core thing that maybe you get away from a little bit, but is that something we should be looking at? Yeah, I think it probably is. The problem with the school system, of course, is there's so many more subjects than there were than when, I, when, when, when I was in school. Right, you know, when do you, you find the time? School. Yeah, you know, the, the, uh, there's only so much time in a school day, and the school days uh, are probably shorter now than they were in the old days, as we say, and, uh, and students can only, uh, can only uh, have time to address so much and uh, only so much uh, mental and emotional energy to absorb what they're, what they're given. So uh, they sometimes seem... Uh, uh, not as well informed as they should be, but you know, just one other thing. When you're talking about the uh, uh, the erosion of, uh, of the Trudeau government's support on, on this issue, I was interested in the new Nanus uh, poll today. The new wave, uh, uh, the Liberals have moved up six points ahead of the Conservatives. Sit, okay, <laughs> so six points, six points ahead. They were four four points ahead uh, last week, and now they're up six points. And this wave, the new wave, obviously does it every week. It's, it will have caught uh, the first part of the. SNC uh, uh, scandal. So we'll see what, what happens in the next couple of weeks with that poll, but uh, the Liberals uh, seem to be moving up despite it, which tells you, uh, yes, people are not paying attention to this scandal, or if they are, they don't care. Jeffrey Stevens, you can read his piece. It's on the, the spec.com right now. This is how the SNC Lavalin uproar must end. Uh, Jeff, really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Scott. 
You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don't know if you've noticed, but over the last number of weeks, we've actually had some snow. Have you, have you seen that? Yeah, I guess you probably... Uh, unless you've been away, you know that we have been bombarded with snow and sleet and freezing rain and freezing temperatures and more snow and then some rain and then some more freezing rain and then some more snow. It's been endless for like a month now. Well, it's not just that we're mentioning this. It's not just that we've lived through it. There has, as a result of this, been a lot of complaining especially in the last little while, last couple of weeks about the snow. And it's not just because we are typical good Canadians complaining about weather, period, no matter what that weather is. I don't think any Canadian has ever had a perfect weather day. It's always too hot or too cold or too snowy or too whatever. But anyway, uh, the complaining that's going on with this is about our sidewalks, about snow on the sidewalk stemming largely not exclusively, not close to exclusively, but a lot of this is coming from those who are older, who when the snow comes and the sidewalks get blocked up, it's very difficult to get around. Uh, some who are disabled, who are finding you can't really roll a walker or a wheelchair or walk around if you're having difficulty that way with a cane. Uh, pedestrians, just everyday pedestrians who want to get one place or another and suddenly now the sidewalks are completely jammed up. And all of these people and others are asking why it is the 24, 48 hours after a major snowstorm, if they want to get somewhere, it's still ankle deep snow. We've been hearing a lot about this lately. Well, one counselor who's been in the middle of this, in this discussion, is Ward 3 counselor Narinder Nan. Uh, she tweeted this the other day, accompanied by a photo, by the way, of a fully snow covered sidewalk. Here's the quote My daughter and I went for a neighborhood walk. We have a serious problem of accessibility in Hamilton in the winter that disproportionately impacts pedestrians, whether we roll or walk. And they said, working with uh, uh, Disabled Ontario staff and colleagues for policy change and solutions. Councillor Nan joins us now. Councillor, thanks for doing this today. Oh, there we go. Now, are you are you there now? I am. There we go. Oh, perfect. Can you hear me okay? I can. You know what? When I don't press the button properly, it doesn't work as well. But um, there we go. We, um, I am following this and watching on social media and listening to people talk about this. I'm struck by the number of comments that we're still getting only because this is not a new issue. This has been going on seemingly forever, long before you got on council. This is not a new thing. Absolutely, it's not a new issue. But I think that this year it's become especially so because residents have taken the call for the Snow and Tell campaign that was launched by the Disability Justice Network of Ontario, who invited residents to take to social media with photos to document the physical barriers that people are facing when they're walking down our sidewalks. And so, like social media is designed to do, right, uh, with people's photos and stories and, and whatnot, hitting, hitting Twitter, hitting Facebook, hitting Instagram, um, they've basically created a situation where we can't ignore uh, the, the story. We can't ignore the situation that our residents are facing. This, yeah, and, and it's, I'm assuming when I've heard other councillors talk about it, I've heard the discussion at council, ultimately it seems as though at its core, this is a money issue. If we had uh, unbelievable pots of money somewhere in the bowels of City Hall that we could just pull out, uh, we could hire people or get more machines or whatever else to do this, but we don't seem to have that money. So how do we resolve this? I mean, I feel, I feel like the money question is a critical one. This is, this is what council has to deliberate on, right, is looking at how much is it going to cost to either, you know, make sure that we're plowing every single sidewalk 
or looking at what are some integrated solutions. So I'd actually love to see council explore some strategies. You know, in the city, we have priority roads that have been designated for uh, ensuring that people can move their vehicles on a four-hour basis, on an eight-hour schedule, and a 24-hour schedule. I'd like to see what would it be costed out at if we designated the same roads and use those sidewalks also uh, on the four-hour schedule. So in our most priority roads that are actually, you know, correlate with the bus routes and the transit access, what if we only cleared those streets uh, in terms of the sidewalks as well? How much would that cost us and what would that cost our residents? So in other words, we don't have to, in other words, we don't have to say within an hour, we're going to clear all 20, I think it's 2,300 kilometers. I read somewhere of Hamilton sidewalks. (laughs) That's a huge number, but it's okay. So in, in the first two hours, five hours, we don't have to do all the sidewalks. Let's hit the main ones where the main arteries are, where people are most likely going to be walking. Yeah, and, you know, the reality here is is our residents aren't unreasonable. They're just looking for some predictability and some consistency so that they can leave their homes in a, in a guaranteed way to be able to access what they need on a daily basis. So whether that's the bus to get them to school, whether it's the bus to get them to shopping or their doctor's appointments, I know that that would go a far way. In an ideal scenario, absolutely, like you mentioned, if we had, you know, tons of extra money in the bank, uh, let's clear every single sidewalk. I'd be down for that. But at the same time, I have to be fiscally responsible too to my city and to the to the budget at the end of the day. So I'd like to look at what are all of the options. Well, and, if you, we had this kind and of you're thing? absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I'm not asking you on the air where you live. I don't. I'm not asking you to give your address. I live, I live on a side street. Yeah, and I live <laughs> on a side street. And when the snow comes, my street does not get cleared before the main streets do. And that just makes right. common sense. We do the main arteries that are going to have the most use first. That's that that seems to make sense to me. And so the same could apply to the sidewalks. It seems to make very good common sense. Absolutely. Our sidewalks are part of the network that connects us to our city. And if we only focus on plowing the roads, then we're disconnecting residents who rely on the sidewalks in order to have free movement. And fundamentally for me, yes, it's a money issue, but it's also a value issue. If our motto, if we're saying that we're fundamentally going to be a the the best city to raise a family and age successfully, then I think the onus is on us to find a way to guarantee safe passage for pedestrians in the winter. And does that mean we're going to have to prioritize that maybe this money, it's not more money, it's finding different money that's used elsewhere? I believe so. I believe so, because fundamentally this is about ensuring that our most vulnerable, like you mentioned in the opener there, that our older residents who are using walkers and mobility devices, our residents who are living with different disabilities. And, you know, I've heard a lot from parents over the course of the last few weeks who uh, who try to traverse our, our city sidewalks on the main artery roads with their strollers who are really struggling. And that's in, that's in the best case scenario is literally just struggling to get through the snow. The worst case scenario here is injury and people then feeling, you know, at, in, a, in, a, in a desire to avoid the injury, um, becoming shut in and literally isolated. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking about snow and we're talking about sidewalks and we're talking about snow on sidewalks because that is a big discussion point. Lots of people complaining. And I think with some justification that when it comes time, when the snow falls and it's now up to your ankles, the snow, the city sidewalks are not clear. They can't get by, especially as my guest, Narendra Nan, Ward 3 Councillor Narendra Nan was just pointing out, if you are disabled, if you are trying to get by, if you're elderly, this is a big problem. And Councillor, it's interesting, and I'm glad you brought up the idea of prioritizing because, first of all, it makes a lot of sense. But also, the other week I was downtown uh, after one of the first big storms of the of the year, 
And it was, I don't know, 24 hours, 18 hours after the snow. The street was somewhat cleared. The sidewalks were untouched downtown. The bike lanes were cleared off right down to the concrete. And there was not a cyclist to be found. And I'm not dumping on bike lanes. That's not what this is about. But it seems as though, and may, I don't know if you have a different view, under different circumstances, there's a place possibly where you say, look, the sidewalks maybe should have priority over bike lanes when the weather is not conducive to cycling anyway. I think that we've run into the same kind of problem there then again, right? If we don't see our sidewalks as being a part of a network of connectivity in our city, which our bike lanes are also part of that network of connectivity, then then we're, we're saying to some residents that they don't have the right to move freely. So I hear what you're saying, and and absolutely, I wouldn't want us to pit one mode of transportation over another. Fundamentally, this is about making sure that there's guarantees for our residents who, for the most part, need to be pedestrians in order to get around to the city, that, that we need to ensure that we're finding the funds to, to guarantee them that access in their, in their town. Like The 2014 report that first looked at uh, clearing sidewalks, I believe that they had estimated that it would cost $3.6 million. Yeah, I think that's the number. Right, twenty. I think that was the number. Yeah, something like that. Three two. Yeah, which turns out to about thirty five dollars a year per household. And you know, with all of the complaining, I've also heard a lot of people saying, "Listen, I would happily pay that thirty five dollars a year if it meant that I had guaranteed access and safety uh, walking down my street." At the risk of being indelicate, uh, mm-hmm. we know again with the site with the bike lanes that part of the reason why they have been cleared is because the the cyclists in town and those who are organized—I don't know if you want to call it the cycling lobby—that that sort of sounds. <laughs> I don't want to diminish it that way, but they've been very good at coming to city hall and making their case. They really have, and that's part of the reason now why those bike lanes are there in the first place and why they get cleared. And again, not to be indelicate, but has has the disabled lobby if you want to call it that, not been as effective or as strong or as good at getting their message out? Because that, I don't recall hearing many of those groups at City Hall recently, and maybe it's a case of just voicing their concerns or being louder, the squeaky wheel kind of thing. Well, one thing that I have to appreciate having been on council now for nearly three months is uh, how many residents with disabilities come to delegate on a variety of issues, whether it's housing, whether it's looking at uh, at different issues. So I believe our disability, um, our, our residents with disabilities are actually quite vocal on a number of issues that intersect the lived experience of people with disabilities. So I, w- I wouldn't go that far okay. to say that it's it's about, you know, only responding to the the, the loudest uh, because our residents with disabilities have been integrated into a lot of discussions around policy. And in fact, it's it's the Disability Justice Network of Ontario, which happens to be based here in Hamilton, that's been doing a really great job this year at um, raising this issue. Yeah, no, they have been very vocal online for sure. And, and as you said mm-hmm. off the top, getting their voice out on Twitter. Uh, for a couple of minutes left, let's go back to the idea, though, sure. you mentioned about the money. And again, I, I do think that probably on its in the isolated... A uh, situation where you say, okay, it's going to be 25 or 30 or $35 to get my snow shoveling done extra on my housing tax. That sounds pretty good to a lot of people. And yet there's a lot of other issues that people would also like to have. Do you have a concern that if we say, all right, we can add $30 here onto this, that something else then comes up and we have to add $30 there. And then there's something else that comes up and it's 25 That's part of the whole discussion of trying to keep the taxes down. It becomes a difficult thing to start adding these things one after another, because then you start, you end up with a huge increase. 
Absolutely, yeah. And and like I said, right off the bat, that there's several things that as a council we need to consider. And I'd like to look at all the potentials here. So if there's a possibility of keeping the, the costs appropriate um, and creating some guarantee and some access for our residents by saying that there's priority roads that we will commit to clearing the sidewalks on that give people ready access to the bus and, like I was saying before, access to their grocery stores and their doctor's appointments, then let's go ahead and take a look at what that costs because perhaps that's going to be significantly less than the $35 per household a year. Perhaps it could be 5 or $8. Um, so from that perspective, I hear what you're saying, and that is the balanced choice that council needs to make in terms of setting priorities and making sure that we're doing this in a way that fundamentally says to the most disadvantaged in our community that all of us benefit when we think about the needs of our most vulnerable. Ward 3 Councillor Narendra Nan, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this today. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Take care, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Yesterday, as many of you know, as I hope all of you know, yesterday was family day. I hope, as I said off the very top of the show, you all did something with your family or just enjoyed a day off, but hopefully did something with your family. Well, we didn't have a show last night. Didn't have a live show. We never do on family day. So today is going to be our de facto family day here on the show. Because f- joining me in the studio is my son, Caleb Bradley. How are you? Thanks for coming in. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm glad I could uh, glad I could be here, even though it's a day or two late. Well, it's a day late for family day, but you know what? Who's keeping track? And uh, Caleb is a university student who is studying sport management. And since Don Robertson was not here last night, because again, we were off. It was a rerun. It was a best of, we like to call it. I thought, you know what, we'll do sports now. Caleb's a sports guy, and we will talk a little sports for the second hour. And there is, I've got a list in front of me, and I don't even know where to start with this one, but I know where I'm going to start, because this weekend was the NBA All-Star Game. I watched zero minutes of it, although I saw a few highlights of it. There were a few good highlights, but I'm, I mean, are you an All-Star, are you an NBA All-Star Game lover? Do you, do you think it's fantastic, or do you think it's a... I think it was. I think it was. Eh. I think. Uh, I think a lot of the time with these All Star games now, they're trying to draw people in with the halftime show. But the, uh, do you know who it was? Who did the halftime show? Please tell me it wasn't Drake. No, it was J Cole, <laughs> and it was uh, even for a millennial like me, it was very. Uh, it was subpar. All right, it was disappointing. So, no, I had uh, no interest in in any of it really, other than the draft. The draft was pretty interesting. That was the LeBron James and. Um Monte Tacumbo. Thank you. Spell it. Nope. Uh, <laughs> he plays for Milwaukee. And that's all I need to know. The Greek freak is his name. Yeah. But here is the thing that drove me nuts about the All-Star game this year. And it's not about the All-Star game per se. Toronto Raptors are trying desperately. They, they traded, as everyone knows, in the offseason, they traded for Kawhi Leonard. He, who is, I, I don't think there's any question, he's the best player on their team. And they are trying desperately to sign him as a free agent, although there are lots of rumblings and rumors he wants to go to Los Angeles. So they're doing everything they can to try and, A, keep him healthy because he's had health problems, and B, make him happy. So he has missed roughly 25% of the Raptors games this year. as Not for injury, but as they have just sat him out to, they call it load management, to make his life easier. And yet when the All-Star game rolls around, they let him go down there and play. If I was the Toronto Raptors, I would have said, you can take the weekend off. We expect you to stay at home, do what you're going to do, rest up, get a massage, watch some Netflix, whatever. We don't want you flying all the way down to Charlotte, 
playing in the game, risking this injury that talking we... Talking to other superstars who are going to try and get you on their team. Good point with that one, too. Yeah. I, I would have... If I've told him... If I've allowed him to miss all this time, I am not letting him play in a meaningless game. Would you have let him play? If you were the Raptors brass, would you have said, go ahead and play in that game? Or would you have said, no, no, I, I think you can sit I think this one de- out? I think it depends. I think if, if Kawhi is the one who's asking for all these games to sit, I think you have to say, you know, it's the All-Star game. You're not going. You've, you've made it clear that you need time off. Take the weekend. If it's the Raptors making him sit, hoping that he's going to stay healthy, I think it could be a bit of a different story. I don't really like the idea of him going with all these superstars, especially LeBron, who's been known to uh, work the angles. Work the angles is a yeah nice way to put it. But, um, you know, the All-Star game is pretty harmless. I'm not worried about an injury or anything with that. But you know what it's I'm, a little bit frustrating. Well, what I'm worried about is, yeah, is not so much. Well, maybe that he gets an injury. I mean, look, there, there have been people, lots of athletes have been injured not necessarily playing their sport, but in training or other places that, that have been, they've been hurt before. My issue is Toronto Raptors sell out every game. They have fans that are paying hundreds of dollars for tickets, hundreds of dollars to come to tickets. And sometimes more than that, if you're buying the really expensive ones for a pair of you to go to a game, you're with dinner and parking and everything else, you're looking at over a thousand bucks to go to a game. If my guy, if I'm going to that game, I expect to see Unless he is injured, I expect to see the best team on the floor. I've never understood it. I, I, understood, I never understood I've what? never understood why he has to sit. And I've, n- I've never understood where really anything with that in sports, why goalies can't play back-to-backs and why Kawhi can't play back-to-backs and why you know baseball players play 162 days in a row. And it's a little bit of a different sport. But and they may, get, they may get a one day off in the week they may sit for, maybe. Yeah, catchers, maybe. But it's just, it's never made sense to me. You're making millions of dollars. This is what you sign up for. If you said one night, you you know, you did your radio show last night, you know, you need a day off. It, it doesn't happen in the real world. It, it should be the same with sport. They should, I should expect the it. sport. <laughs> and it's, it's frustrating that, you know, we signed this, we, we trade this guy for, I, I'm the, I was the biggest advocate for the trade, but you give away DeMar DeRozan who, you know, played over 75 games a year, if not the whole season. So... You know, we give it. We give away a massive piece there, and we give away a first-round pick. We expect this guy to play, especially if he's going to be leaving after this year. Well, what happens when they get to the playoffs? Are they going to do the same thing? There's well, no th- chance. I think they're sitting him in hopes that he's going to be able to play every single day. Well, you would hope, but and if there's he, no back-to-backs in the playoffs, so you, you'd hope that there's no way that he could be sitting. I, if I'm a fan and I have bought my ticket or tickets, and I've spent the hundreds of dollars because there's no there's no really cheap seats at a Raptors game. If I've gone down there and I've put that money in, unless a guy is hurt, I expect him to be on the floor. And if he, if I've gone down to that game and I've watched that Raptors game and he's not playing, and then a week later he's playing in the All-Star game for kisses and giggles with a bunch of his buddies, as a fan, I feel insulted and I feel disrespected. I agree. I just, I, I, I think find... I, I find it ridiculous too. We're on the same, I, I just, I, I... I don't, I don't know why he has to sit, and I understand that he's had injury problems and they're trying to keep him from that, and he's on a contract year and he doesn't want to blow out his knee and lose out on millions of dollars. But you're an athlete. You're expected to play every day, and I don't know why he's had a hall pass for this this year. My question is if, I mean, he's going to want to have a max, if he signs in Toronto, if, and I, don't, I still don't think he's going to, but if he, has, if he signs a max deal, 
he or if he signs with Toronto, he's going to want to have a max deal. He's going to want to get the most dollars that are available to him under the collective bargaining agreement. And I believe wholeheartedly that there is zero chance he's going to take. He's going to say, "Okay, I'll take that minus. I want twenty percent of my games off to rest, so I should take twenty percent." No, nobody in any line of work does that. As you said, nobody does that. Nobody says that I am just going to, out of load management, which is the biggest stupid term that anyone's come up with lately, the biggest sports stupid, I'm sorry, you're in sport management. Someone in sports management came up with that one. It wasn't me. It wasn't you. But someone came up with that stupid word, load management. Look, every single person in their life would love to have some load management, but they don't. People work. They go to work, as you say, every day. They do their job. If they're sick, they're sick. If they're injured, they're injured. If they just don't quite feel like doing their job that day or they're not, or even worse than that, if they're worried that if I work really hard today that maybe I'll be sick tomorrow, it I doesn't work I think Toronto is trying to treat Kawhi as good as they possibly yes. can. Suck up. And if that means giving him a day off and that raises your chances of signing him next year, I think if he comes back next year, which I've said from the day he was traded, he's coming back. So you think he we is. can bring back this podcast we'll on see. the day he signs. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think they're trying their best to keep him happy. There's a lot of factors that probably make him want to leave Toronto, the weather, the, the fact that there's so many good teams in the West. But I think that by treating him as well as you can and treating him almost like a baby, they're doing their best to have him resign. And I think if he were to resign, you may see a little bit of a different. Well, how do you do that then? How to next year? How do you turn around next year? And I don't disagree with you. I think you're right. I think. But how do you next year, if he resigns, then say, no, Kawhi, you're you're playing every game, or you're pl- unless you're hurt, you're playing every game. And but you would have to do that because if you don't do that, eventually it may not be this year, but eventually that's going to cause problems in the dressing room. If I'm Kyle Lowry and I'm expected to go out and play hard every single game and the guy over there next to me who's making more money than I am is given every second night off or every third night off or every fourth night off, I'm saying, what's the deal here? That's It can only create bad feelings. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, Kawhi has, like, earlier in his career, he would play all of his games. So I, I think it may just be the fact that it's... Uh, it's a contract year that's kind of just keeping him away and making him want to play every couple of days. We'll that see. would be my assumption, but that definitely could cause issues. And I wonder if when it comes to free agent time, if he doesn't sign, if he goes to the free agent market, even if he's going to eventually sign with the Raptors, like I think you he think, will no matter what. I would be interested to see if other teams are offering load management as an incentive to come. That if you come to us, you'll only have, you'll, we'll give you every back to back off and we'll give you, uh, that's going to be the new thing. Every player in every sport is going to say, Hey, I'm a free agent. I want load management. Instead of a no trade clause, it'll be a load management clause. Load management clause. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I do think it would be a little bit of a different situation next year. I just think that on a contract year, you're taking it a little bit more easy and making sure that you're okay because he knows that if he were to blow something out again, that legitimately close oh, to $50 million more than per, that. per year, 40, oh, yeah. 35, $40 million per year, plus endorsements, plus whatever new balance is, is gone. Yeah. I'm shocked that he has an endorsement deal. I, yeah. <laughs> Considering <laughs> how dull a human he seems to be. I'm, I'm sure now good for new balance. For those who haven't seen it, he's got a new TV commercial out that actually makes fun of how dull he is. 
and it sort of plays on you don't have to make a big show of it to be a great player. I mean, they, they, it was a good strategy for them. Which is good because New Balance is the same. They're, they're, they're in the shadow, so it makes sense that they take Kawhi. Yeah, I don't know who else they would, uh, who else would fit their style better. Anyway, I, if I was Raptors fans, I would be saying, if he's healthy enough to play in the All Star game, he, I guess I, the management's going to say, would you rather see him now or in the playoffs? A hundred percent. So you know, if he if he gets injured in the middle of the season and he's he's out for the rest of the year, there's no chance he stays. And if they lose in the second round, like I expect, there's they no will. chance he stays. They need a deep playoff run, and they know that the only way they can do that is with a guy who's 100%, and this load management is the way to do it. We'll see. Because if they lose in the second round, then this whole thing has been a complete disaster. The trade, the load management, the everything, because then you're now you're talking about a team that's, I mean, they've got some nice players still, but boy. Troublesome. Uh, yeah. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. As a belated family day special, joined in studio by my son, Caleb Radley, who is a Brock sport management student. We're talking sports for this hour. If people want to know where the brains in the family went. And the good looks. And the good looks. (laughs) And the muscles and a lot of other things. And the hair. Yep, all of them. Uh, Don Cherry, everyone's favorite topic of conversation. Don Cherry was... uh, Saying that he was not a fan of the Carolina Hurricanes win celebrations. For those who haven't seen it, after the Carolina Hurricanes win a game these days, they stick around on the ice while the other team leaves, and then they participate in some kind of. They've done duck, duck goose. They've limbo, limbo. They've races, had fake baseball games, races. Don Cherry says there are a bunch of jerks and they're disrespecting hockey, and this is not what you do in the NHL. What says you? Do you agree with Don? I love Don Don Cherry. I absolutely love Don Cherry, but I completely and utterly disagree with him on this. This is, from a sport management perspective, it's genius. And just from a marketing perspective, uh, Carolina's attendance has gone up 1,500 people since two years ago. They're up almost 1,000 since last year. They're getting more people in the door. This is a team that has been bottom of the league for attendance consistently year after year after year they're getting people in the door they're getting their videos posted everywhere people are getting exposure and the main like people love social media because it connects them to others and this is the perfect way to do that they're getting the personalities of these players through these events and could it work for every team do you think that they, I don't know. Do you think I think if the Toronto Maple Leafs or Montreal Canadiens did this. Do you think that would be a good idea, or is it the market that is allows for no, it because I, I think, it's not a traditional hockey market, so you can get away with it here? I, I think it would have worked for any team. I think if any team who tries to copy it now is just gonna, it's gonna look bad. But if Toronto had come up with this the months ago that Carolina thought of it, I think it'd be genius. See, I don't think Toronto, I don't think Toronto, Montreal, any of the original six teams, I don't think they could get away with it because there is a different expectation for how you, how you do hockey in those markets. It's much more serious. But for Carolina to do it, for if the Florida Panthers were going to do it, if... I, I don't know. I, there's been so many videos of... Phoenix. Matthews or... There was the Halloween video where Matthews almost wet his pants. That's what people want to see. People want to see personalities. Where he got scared by the bear. Yeah. 
People want to see personality, or Marner, whoever it was. They want to see the personalities of the players, and this is one way to do that. I think it's genius. I think they're getting people in the door. I think the players are enjoying it. You know, it, like Don Cherry said, they're not they're not doing it while the other team is still on the ice. Yeah, the that wouldn't go gone. well. Yeah, that would not go well. And they're not doing it after they lose. They're they're do it, it. It's just a different sort of celebration. And I, I I don't know why nobody has thought of this. The the guy's name here is. Uh, the guy who, who who started it? Tom Dundon. And he's been trying to improve the in-arena experience and the relationship between the, the team and the fans. But and I don't think this was the, his idea, was it? It says that this the, Tom Dundon's improvements to the in-arena experience and the relationship between the Hurricanes and their fans, which creates a positive atmosphere for games, a more positive outlook on social media. Games are a lot more fun to attend. Like, this is something you'd want to bring your kid to. How fun is that? And darn, we lost. Well, we got to take them to another until they win. And that you're just, you're you're creating lifelong fit. All it takes, we learned this in class, it takes one thing for that kid to become a lifelong fan. And we saw it this week with Marner giving that stick Mm -hmm. to the girl on Valentine's Day. That girl will buy Marner jerseys. She flew to, did you see she flew to Arizona for Saturday's game? To watch the Leafs. Wow. Like she, they have created now a lifelong fan all through something so simple. And this is just genius to do. There is a, there are more than one. There are a number of videos you can go online and watch. People can go on YouTube. And there are a bunch of these with college football because they all have traditions and stuff. But one of them that is actually, looks like it's a ton of fun. Uh, I'll, actually, I'll point to two of them. One of them is at Wisconsin. In the fourth quarter, every time in every Wisconsin game, they do the jump around, which is this, you have to see it in order to understand it. The entire stadium starts jumping to a song, about 85,000 people all wearing red. But the other one, which is more to what you're talking about, that West Virginia football games, when they win a game, at the end of the game, the entire crowd sticks around and sings Country Road, Take Me Home to the Place I Belong, West Virginia. And that's what people love about sport. It is, in my opinion... Other than religion, probably the biggest unifier this world has. Like so it, it unify you can you can talk sport with anyone from any different background, and it unifies people. And this is a fantastic idea to create a great atmosphere in a city that unfortunately falters at hockey. So the question becomes: We won't spend a lot of time because we've got to go. Is there too far? See, I believe that, I'm with you that I agree that in Carolina, especially, or Florida, or Arizona, or a few other places, this is totally fine. I have no issue with this. I think it's fun. Sports is supposed to be entertainment. It's supposed to be enjoyable. But I also do think that they haven't maybe got there yet. They've been close a couple times. There is a spot where it could go too far and be too stupid. Just don't lose to them. They don't do it when they lose. I don't mean insulting. I mean, there could be some some of their plans, some of their ideas. You get to the point where you could end up being stupid and just looks ridiculous. The ones they've done so far, for the most part, have just been fun and lighthearted and silly. But I, you, if you're going to do this, it's still got to be fun and got to be somewhat clever. I, I thought the same thing was with the Las Vegas in the playoffs last year with their pregame show. I thought, that's great. More teams should be doing this. It's entertainment. Any publicity is good publicity. And well, the, the reality is that almost. Carolina is at the bottom of the league for attendance. They're at the bottom of the league for social media. And if this is a way that they can bolster their social media, their atmosphere of the game, their tickets sold, 
there's legitimately nothing unless uh, of course they do something really stupid like you said but there's nothing that can go wrong it's a genius idea no other team can take it now because they just look like they're copycats and it uh, from a perspective of selling and marketing it's genius i think that they have completely hit the nail on the head or head on the nail well, the, and they're the also selling. One. They're also selling millions of T-shirts now because when Don Cherry said there are a bunch of jerks, they immediately printed Carolina Hurricanes T-shirts that said, called themselves that they were the Which bunch again, of jerks. Genius. Millennials love jumping on the newest trend. Millennials hate missing out on things. This is this is what this world is now, and they are they are tapping into that market, and it's genius. People want to be there. People don't want to miss. The game, they want to say, yeah, you know that video that went viral of the hockey team playing baseball? I was at that game. There, there's, there How many times no have downside. you said you were at that game? How many times has that come up that you have said something that you were at some game? that? I would, Well, I haven't been at any of the games. but they Not in Carolina. I mean, in general, for sports. Would you, if, if, that had, if that had happened to you that you were at some game, would you point out to people that you were there? We were at the bat flip game. How often do we tell people about that? It's just one of those things that makes people, it makes people... It makes people want to attend. And, it, you know, it, there's no harm in this. So if you're Carolina, you know, like you said with Toronto, I think it would work great in Toronto. I have no issue with it in Toronto. I know that t- Toronto is a very traditional market and that there could be some backlash. But, again, you're, you're just you're putting the personalities of the players on display, and that is the almost entire reason of why you would follow a social media. You get more following. You have more promotions. You get more people in the building. You're selling out the place of, I think, 16,500 that they can fill. They're not far off. I think it's genius. I'm not, I'm not anticipating seeing Brendan Shanahan give the green light for the Leafs to do it anytime soon. Well, at this point, no other team can do They've missed the boat. They've got to figure out something else because Carolina has taken this one, and it's, it's, it's genius. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.